All the poisons <laughs> have been. Thank you for yeah. doing that yeah. with me this morning. Clear the deck. <laughs> now that our minds are empty, <laughs> it's time for it's 9:29 a.m. Saturday, January the 29th, 2022. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane show. Yeah, we've been talking for about an hour about yeah. various and sundry things that we yeah. didn't want to share with that anybody we kept, else. That we kept saying, let's not talk about this on the show. <laughs> yeah. Let's get these out of the way so that we don't have to talk about them on the show. <laughs> we often do that. It's true. But it's that's true. the wonderful thing about having conversations of a Sunday or a Saturday. Excuse me, it's not Sunday. Get the day what the straight. heck? Come on, Diane. Come on. Of a Saturday morning. Yes. Uh, uh, it is true. It is true. We've been talking about the past, talking about the future, <laughs> talking about our children. <laughs> And, and our, our children's children and our parents. I got myself a cup of coffee here and I'm going to take me a sip. And our parents, parents, and our parents, 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 and our parents, 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 parents. And now we're empty. So it's time to do the show. So, goodbye. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about the music. <laughs> Has it been another quiet week here in, or I shouldn't say quiet, I should say a slow week here in Lake Barbiturate? It has been rather I think this is our... our lake barbiturate. Yeah, I think that we're getting out of the lake amphetamine yeah. time. <laughs> wow. Which is... I think it's all... We've it, moved. Uh, yeah, but I think it, it's just it's a matter of scale. <laughs> I mean, it's been hectic in the places where it matters at this well, time of true. life. You know, because we've been doing... I've done a fair amount of thinking this week. I don't know about you. I have done a fair amount of thinking as well. Yes. And the topics, yes, they are not vibrant topics. They don't have to do with, you know, bodies in motion that much. There's more bodies at rest and reflection. And minds at motion. Right. But it does not mean that there is not an element of hecticity existing therein. <coughs> I feel like it's a more leisurely pace in my mind. Right. But there's, it's leisure with intent. Yes. So it's a, it's a, there's a realization that's opening up in front of us. Oh, I can just embrace this. I think that's one of the keys about getting old is embracing what is there. So, there you go. I'm in full embrace mode. Are you in full embrace mode? Well, uh-huh. I'm getting there. Yeah. Well, I must say that embracing in the same house as you is not a bad experience. <laughs> so... There you go. People we knew back in the day, people we know now, who we were, who we are. Yeah. Time present, present, in time past. Pardon me, I'm gonna have another drink of coffee. Time past, present, in time present. Ew, boy. Exactly. That's good coffee. Right. Over to you, Diane. (laughs) Well, a trigger for me uh, into this review of the past, present, and future was something that happened at work, actually. Mm. Um, The human resources group, I'm not sure, I think it might be of the whole university. People who are uh, involved in the human resources, we have this 
monthly meeting that is called HR Community of Practice. And we talk about various issues of interest. And sometimes it's uh, things that are going on at the university. And sometimes, as this event was, it's about something that's happening in the in the overall society. And we were talking about the great resignation mm-hmm. with a view of how to attract people to the University of Washington during this time where it's it's getting harder and harder to find employees in general. And so what we did is we broke up into small groups on Zoom. Uh, the groups, I think that there were probably, I don't know, about 175 attendees. Wow. And everybody was able to break up into these groups of four and discuss things with, uh, with the people. Wow. They who can do that many breakout rooms. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. But you didn't have to dial in again? No. It just put you into a room and you were talking with some people. Mm. And it was very interesting. I was in a group with somebody who worked at Temporary Services, somebody who worked with the campus recruitment office, and another person that I actually had worked with but never seen in person um, from a department. And we were just discussing things about the university. And I was talking about why I first started working at the U. And I said the thing that attracted me was that if I worked at the university, well, first of all, I was surprised that the university even needed people of any other type other than instructors. It's funny how you never think about all the the infrastructure the infrastructure (laughs) and that was one of the things that the campus hr person said she said we just got to we've just got to get ourselves out in front of people to let them know we need other employees besides just professors because so many people don't even think about all the the vast numbers of employees that and very interesting jobs at the u so I was saying that the the reason why I decided to apply at the university after I realized that they needed support staff was because I thought I wouldn't have to be transferred right. because my father was always transferred. And the likelihood of getting laid off just because right. was low because in my father's life, he pretty much was terrified all the time of being laid off from his job. In fact, almost every year, they would have this time where people would come into this big, I think it was like a really big area. I don't know what the the actual building was, but he would describe that he'd go in and you would, you know, be in this group and you'd go to your particular group and you'd either get a fat envelope or a skinny envelope and you were always hoping you'd get a fat one because that meant that you've got a contract and the skinny one was pink slip a pink slip yeah i didn't want to go through that in my working life so that's um, crazy yeah i can imagine being in a job like that so you wanted a job that was not dictated by the value of oil stocks at that moment or something like that because universities are kind of always happening whether no matter what the economy is doing and i'd heard that with the state jobs 
uh, I had done some research and with state jobs, it isn't as willy-nilly right. as, as corporations are. So right. I, I thought, that sounds really good to me. Yeah. And when I first started, I didn't want a stressful job. I started as a secretary and without even really tr- trying my, my uh, career promoted and promoted without my seeking it out very much. But so when I was talking to the group, I was saying, so stability was important to me. The thing that was really interesting about working at the university is you could go from a job in one department, you could go to an entirely different job Mm -hmm. and still maintain some of your... Your seniority. Seniority, your your benefits, and, you know, like you you could transfer your sick leave, and that was huge to me. The... There were lots of things that are known about a state job, which is the benefits are terrific. You get a lot of time off. The retirement, which I am now starting to think about, never did when I was young. Starting to think about that? Well, uh, you know, that I have been thinking about for the last five years, but I didn't think about it before then, really. you know. So we were talking about that, and some other aspects, but I also said the other things that I loved about working at the U and still love is that I was proud to work at the University of Washington because I could get behind the The mission mission. that it's research and teaching and community service, that that it's doing something good in society to my mind. And I could really get into that. And and also the thing that I really loved that I didn't didn't experience until I'd been in the job is the the diversity of the population and the fact that you worked with people from all over the world I mean I did a a list of all the people one time how you know all the countries I have worked with people and Mm -hmm. it was very long and uh, so I, I feel like it was a rich experience for me and it's it's really interesting when you think about well what would I say and in this so we got out of the smaller groups went into a bigger group and I spoke my piece about all these things um, because no one else was talking so I was the first one who sort of broke the ice and very soon into it I realized that that a lot of the people who were talking after me were also talking about the difficulties of attracting younger, the younger generation into, with with even these same ideas that I was expressing. They were saying that no one in the younger generation is gonna be that uh, attracted by retirement plans. And I was, uh, I was noting in the comments that when I was young, I wasn't thinking about the retirement plan either. You know, it's something that is sort of like when you've been there, you go, oh, I have a retirement plan. Um, but a lot of the things, because the state doesn't pay as much, it's not as lucrative as uh, other places. But if you compared it with the benefits, it was. And uh, But it's harder to get people to think that way. Right. And... So they were talking about all this. And as they were talking about what would attract a person from a younger group, I realized that I don't care. 
you know? And that was a really weird realization that I thought, I don't care what's going to bring in a younger person because I'm not going to be here. Yeah. And I'm not... You're past in, the time where that needs yeah. to be a concern of yours. You know? But certainly when I used to try to talk somebody into accepting a job with me, um, I think that I was able to affect people from my sheer enthusiasm. And it made me realize how much jobs actually do depend on the people who hold them being enthusiastic and still having life in them, you know? Yeah. It's like teachers that you had when you were young that are, that re you remember are the ones who you could sense their excitement for the subject and that their, their excitement was contagious, you know? It's like you, you were drawn towards that because you've experienced teachers who are basically bored with their subject and they're up there just, you know, going through the motions. And it, well, I think about yeah. when I was first looking for a, a job as a, in the legal field. Mm -hmm. And I applied to several jobs uh, through a headhunter, which they don't even have anymore, mm -hmm. but uh, they sent me out on several job interviews and I chose the one in the end that was the least lucrative for me because I liked the HR manager so much who was well, I think interviewing with you me. You had a different set of metrics that you were going by entering into the workforce than what the younger generation has, perhaps. Right. Because for you, and it makes you unique even in our generation, you weren't always just in it for the advancement. You wanted something that would be not stressful, you know, not too demanding, demanding enough to hold your interest, but not so demanding that it became everything that you could ever think about all day, any day. You, I think you had a consciousness of the kind of work-life balance, to use a contemporary term, that, was, that would work for you as an well, individual. Well, I don't think I did during that first foray into the workforce because it, I gain that work-life balance after my time at the law firm. That was... Uh, so that was your education? That was my education, and I don't want to feel like this, right. you know. Right. But but when I went out on the interviews, I, I still remember that the, the most lucrative was this job where I would be a legal secretary, um, whereas the job I took at the at Perkins Coie Stone and Olson and Williams was as a receptionist because they demanded I think you had to type I want to and Cindy will correct me if if she knows but I think you had to type around 90 words a minute and I was typing 60 I think when I first applied I got up to 90 by the time I'd worked there but um so I didn't have the chops yet to be a legal secretary at the at Perkins Coie but but this other place that I was interviewing, um, the the guy who interviewed me was gray-haired. He was wearing a gray suit. The, the walls of the place looked gray. And everybody looked so downtrodden, including him. He just was like... <sighs> and I thought, if I take this job, I'm going to die. <laughs> A slow death right. in this tomb of a office. So, yeah, that my my experiences in the legal world made me feel like, yeah, I don't want to do this yeah. in my as my profession. Right. 
but um but that was when i gained the work-life balance uh was was thinking so for you going to work at the university was like was like an educated decision it was very much an educated decision because otherwise if i had wanted to being a legal secretary is far more lucrative than when you and you passed up on offers of advancement at the university because you realized you had attained a comfort level for yourself that was adequate that's right. And you didn't need to shoot any higher because it would mean taking on more stress. That's right. So that's... Well, you always have to, to be considering that. And I think that I got better at considering it yeah. when I was older. Yeah. But all that aside, mm-hmm. after that experience, I realized that I have no knowledge about what would attract a younger person into this. And I was thinking about how when I was younger... My parents could advise me about how to apply for a job, how to look for a job. The jobs that I was applying for were recognizable to them. They could absolutely uh, advise me in my career path. And I wouldn't have the first idea of how to do that with a person now, a, a young person who, if they asked me, how do I you know, what, what should I do? How should I go about it? Because the ways that, I mean, I can tell them a little bit, I, because I've worked in human resources, I know what happens with our online applications and all that. But that is totally different than what I experienced when I was younger. And, um, and it really made me think about the the past and the future and um, the wisdom of Khalil Gibran when he said uh, that the that your children live in the house of tomorrow which you cannot visit not even in your dreams I I think it's a lot easier to look back at a past generation because you can get some historical context and you can peek in the windows of that house but but man um, we were watching, you know, maybe a few months ago, a, a, we just saw the first of the series, The Future of Work. Oh, yeah. And I was just watching it thinking, oh, my God. I mean, it's almost frightening to think about because you're not in that vein. You're not in that swim of things right. um, as much. Right. It's an automatic so, outgrowth of a childhood that wasn't our childhood. Yeah. You know, and when I look at my children and the way that they are kind of just you know, heads up, walking into the world. And, and then I look at the world and I think, oh my God, know. you know, <laughs> but they're not, as, they're not afraid. They're not afraid. You know, I'm afraid because I don't recognize it. And it seems strange to me. And at the same time, my body is, you know, sinking back into the earth and, you know, it's, it's, it's too much. Yeah. I don't want that. I would rather take it easy, embrace what's around me. Get whatever peace I can get, and have it be a uh, slow week in Lake Barbiturate, yeah, than a hectic week in Lake Amphetamine, because I'm in that period of life. When I, I feel, feel... When, I, when I think about how my guitar playing is kind of dicey right now, and may you know never be right again, I kind of feel like, well, this is this is a progression. This is not a you know this is not the end of anything really. It's just a tapering off like all of life 
after a certain age, it's a tapering off rather it than is. a swelling into full flower. And yet, seriously, when we were talking about earlier, that your brain is, mm. you know, the the amount of reflection and observation that I have now is is uh, very rich right. to me. Right. And I was thinking. Uh, because yesterday I had a conversation with my brother, which I always enjoy. My brother has always been an intellectual springboard for me uh, since my childhood. And he was talking about a series by Simon Shama called The Power of Art. And so he asked me if I had ever seen it. I said, no, I didn't even know. But I've heard of Simon Shama. Um, I've actually watched him in debate. He, we had talked about a debate that had gone on for Dickens and Tolstoy that we right. really enjoyed, and he yeah. was uh, the one defending Tolstoy right. as a great novelist. And so I thought, wow, I'd really want to watch that. And it was on a channel that I'd never even heard of called BBC Select, and it had... we subscribe to that channel and it had i i mean i wanted to watch almost everything on it yeah. because it had wonderful documentaries about art and history and um, there's one series that i really am interested in uh, the history of the photographer it's about photographers for example the one that i was uh, just kind of previewing was uh, the photographer who took the pictures of the the King Tutankhamun dig, yeah. you know, that that you know all the people in the pictures who were the explorers, but it was the photographer who brought that to the right. masses. That's great. So yeah, I, I was thinking, that man, that's going to be cool. So at this point in my life, as my work life, because I truly am in the, in the handoff period now, oh. and I'm feeling it, you know, I'm feeling like um, I'm doing a lot of orientation at work for uh, for all for a lot of different people, so I've been doing a lot of talking and trying to get as much policy uh, into everybody's minds as I can before I retire, and that is not an easy feat, um, and it's not even easy to get to the point where you feel like, yeah, I need to do this. Right. You know, I haven't got a lot of time to do this, but. Um, as that's kind of happening, this whole world is opening up to me of what I really want to pursue, education in, in art and in history, and, and I'm starting to have the avenues opening up for me in that way. So it's quite exciting, and I think that the hardest part <laughs> is just like any thing in your life that old saying when a door closes you have to be looking at uh, at the new opening right. um, that is ahead of you for me I'm sort of saying okay I'm watching this door closing what's in this next door that is opening up and I'm kind of liking when I'm well not just kind of I'm very excited by what I see and I'm very excited to go in that door so I'm happy for you I think it's going to be great. It's going to have a, be great having you on this side of the door. <laughs> Nonetheless, that's what's been going on, and that's why we've had a lot of conversations about 
the past, you know, the past generations, the future. Uh, I've made this observation many times since I've been older that I'm, I'm ashamed at the impatience I had with my, uh, with my elders when I was young. Mm. But that's just part of the, the pattern of life. You yeah. don't get to escape that, I don't think. I was not as bad as some in that, um, but I remember, you know, you you just don't appreciate all the wisdom that your ancestors have gained by aspects of life that you never knew about. Yeah. For example, um, we were watching, one of the documentaries was about the 1918 pandemic, and it was uh, done before, it was done in, 2017 2017 so very prophetic in its observations about the possibility of a pandemic um but it made me think about once again that my my grandparents lived through that time and they lived through world war one and they lived through the depression and they lived through world war two and you as a as a teenager think that your grandparents and parents don't know anything you know? <laughs> you, no. but they never talk about those things because they have gotten to this point of life where they feel like yeah i was that way when i was young too they'll find out soon enough yep. you know so it's true it's like i was saying i think it's occurred to me a couple months ago or a year ago or something that you know when you get to a certain age you have all this wisdom, you know, you have all this wisdom and it's worthless because the people who, who need the wisdom don't want to hear it or can't hear it or not. It's not available to them. The information does them no good because they, the information is gained through experience. And if you don't have the experience, you don't understand the wisdom, you know, it's just. It's true to some extent, but I've got to say I did listen to my parents. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, I, I still have things that they told me in my head yeah but i think those things come into focus years and years and years after they were set these are things that we remember our parents saying and you're like oh yeah now i know what they were talking about you know that's and, true and yet if you don't tell the the folks right. even oh yeah even if you think they aren't listening that's why or... i gave my both my kids copies of the prophet by yeah because you know I just said, put this on your shelf and forget it, but don't get rid of it because yeah. at some point in your life, this book will be important. You know, I like passing on little, little nuggets like that that are potentially valuable uh, as those kind of things, whereas years from now, they might look at that book and think, I wonder what dad, why dad gave me this book, and then they'll pick it up and read it, and they'll go, holy shit! <laughs> Sorry, 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 all you kids out there, both of you. Anyway, it's an interesting life, Diana. I like the arc of it, and I feel exceedingly fortunate to still have this much vitality to invest in it. You know? Which brings us to our music of today, actually. Does it, Diane? It does. How did that happen? Is so thematically whoa whoa correct. whoa! It's almost like we had a written outline of what we were going to say and how we were going to say. Oh, well, we have a script, know. you know. Well, this is yeah. yeah reading out the script. Oh, this is completely organic and spontaneous. 
although the when I did choose the music for today, it was not as thematically correct as it became as because we have been having this conversation not just this morning but um, but in the week and it was so interesting to me that as I was I had a wonderful conversation with cat my cat my darling cat uh, and I don't even remember why we were talking about John Denver. I know it had something to do with, uh, oh, I do remember why, because um, John Daly's son is in the music field. He has a record contract, which is not um, not common these days. So Kat was talking about the the concerns and the pitfalls of that. Uh, and so we were talking about uh, how how to keep your music fresh, even though the record companies are more interested in their investment than they are in you and your growth. So John Denver came up as a person that we were talking about because Cat uh, introduced me one time to Mo Dixon, who had actually performed with John Denver. And when I was just having ch- chatting with him, he shared with me that John Denver had, uh, that he was performing with John Denver when he was older, you know. And they were going to be doing a some sort of a variety type of late night thing. And that they wanted him to play Rocky Mo- Mountain High, the network executives. And that he really did not want to play that. He wanted to play some of his new music, but they wouldn't let him do it. And Mo was telling me about the expression on his face when he was performing Rocky Mountain High for the umpteenth time, couldn't present his his new music, and uh, he said it was just painful. And so I was thinking about John Denver and... And when we were talking, when Kat and I were talking, I was saying how it became popular for a while not to like John Denver. And I never fell into that camp. I always liked him and did not go into the... And she told me a story that I... She said, you probably have heard this before, but I had not. That there was some comedian who said, how many in this audience like John Denver? And nobody raised their hand. And they said, now I want you all to close your eyes. How many of you like John Denver? (laughs) And then a whole bunch of people raised their hands. And I was thinking, yeah, I would have raised my hand with everybody's eyes open because I've always felt like, who cares? I'm not not trying to be in the swim of things. So anyway, interestingly, I thought, so at that moment... I marked it in my mind, John Denver should be our our Ah. performer of the day. And this morning when I went up to the album that I had when I was in college, which was uh, the greatest hits album, because back in those days I couldn't afford a lot of records, so I would often get the greatest hits. Well, that greatest hits album was probably his best-selling album. And it was a fantastic. The, it's a great. It's the, a great album. The picture on the cover is joyous and beautiful. Everything about that album, I remember. And I bought it in college, and 
it was a constant companion to me. And so I remembered without having heard these songs in quite a while that the songs I really loved off the album, there were a lot, but I really loved Rhymes and Reasons and Poems, Prayers and Promises. And I listened to them, them this morning and thematically to my week, they fit in so perfectly. And I wept at hearing poems, prayers and promises because I thought, here's this song that I listened to when I was in college and it had an entirely different meaning for me back then. And John Denver didn't even make it to be in his mid-60s. He died when he was 54. I looked it up. And, and yet the thoughts are so current to me about what I'm thinking about now. I mean, even the, I think, poems have become more important to me now. Right. Prayers and promises. And it's just interesting to me how much this fit in thematically. So, Except for the clunky line. Yeah, we don't, neither Bill nor I like the clunky line. Yeah. We, we kind of replace it in our own heads. The clunky with, line has always been there for me. But the, the song is great. But the clunky line has always been a, a problem for me. But Rhymes and Reasons has always been one of my favorite John Denver songs. And I think the version from the Greatest Hits album is probably the best version. It seems a little... I mean, the, the thing about the Greatest Hits album is it took some of his older songs and made them a lot more grandiose yeah. sounding than they were in their original versions. But if you listen to the song Rhymes and Reasons off the album Rhymes and Reasons, which was John Denver's first album, he's singing flat. Oh. One. You know, the very opening... Uh, uh, lyric so he's speaking he's flat noticeably to me so and i know that john denver has made great meaning to you john denver does have great meaning to me john denver is was kind of like my gateway drug into the world of songwriting because through john denver i found john prine and tom paxton and you know a lot of other hoyt axton a lot of other writers whose songs he would cover even covered, you know, some Beatles songs and things like that, and, and uh, Jacques Brel and Leonard Cohen and, you know, those kind of musicians. So, yeah. And I just thought John Denver was, was great in his time, and the Greatest Hits album came out before Back Home Again, or, you know, it, it came out at, right at the moment where he was at the peak. So it was the timing of that Greatest Hits album was fortuitous, because I think his career descended from there yeah. back home again was a great album the live album i almost wanted to do the version of rhymes and reasons from the live album but yeah it's a great version but i think the one on the greatest hits album is better anyway well yeah. i will never forget his enthusiasm when we were young and his far out mm -hmm. you know that and the movie this, oh god yeah which was a big part of my youth Know, things like that but especially with the view to the past the view to the future it just seemed perfect for the day I've been lately thinking about my life's time all the things I've done and how it's been I can't help believing 
in my own mind. I know I'm gonna hate to see it end. I've seen a lot of sunshine, slept out in the rain, spent a night or two all on my own. I've known my lady's pleasures, had myself some friends, spent a time or two in my own home. And I have to say it now, it's been a good life all in all. It's really fine to have a chance to hang around. And lie there by the fire. Watch the evening tire while all my friends and my old lady sit and pass a pipe around and talk of poems and prayers and promises and things that we believe in. How sweet it is to love someone, how right it is to care, how long it's been since yesterday. What about tomorrow? And what about our dreams and all the memories we share? The days they pass so quickly now, nights are seldom long. Time around me whispers when it's cold. Changes somehow frighten me. Still, I have to smile. It turns me on to think of growing old. For though my life's been good to me, there's still so much to do. So many things my mind has never known. I'd like to raise a family. Like to sail away and dance across the mountains on the moon. I have to say it now. It's been a good life, all in all. It's really fine to have the chance to hang around and lie there by the fire. Watch the evening tire while all my friends and my old lady sit and pass the pipe around and talk of poems and prayers and promises and things that we believe in. How sweet it is to love someone! How right it is to care! How long it's been since yesterday! What about tomorrow? What about our dreams and all the memories we share? Coming of the winter, 
fear that is within you now it seems to never end and the dreams that have escaped you and the hope that you've forgotten you tell me that you need me now you want to be my friend and you wonder where we're going where's the rhyme where's the reason and it's you cannot accept it is here we must begin to seek the wisdom of the children and the graceful way of flowers in the wind for the children and the flowers are my sisters and my brothers their laughter To the mountains they shall lead us By the hand and by the heart They will comfort you and me In their innocence and trusting They will teach us to be free